The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening and thank you so much for your participation with us here on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for liking the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. It's great to get those likes every week and to know that you're aware of what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery. And I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual communities, your family members know about us here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality and bringing you great guests that have lots to share about what's possible in deepening and broadening recovery. And uh, also, thank you so much for emailing me, for letting me know what's happening in your world, and for letting me know that the guests that I have here on Spirit of Recovery are touching your heart and making a difference in your life and in your recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and um, they're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer. You can listen via your smart device. And uh, you, we've got lots of great archives, so you can listen on demand. Just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery. I want you to know that also if you would like to financially support Unity Online Radio and that helps support the production of Spirit of Recovery as well as the other great um, programs that are on here, uh, you can donate to Unity Radio, text Unity Radio, 72727 from your smartphone. And uh, unityonlineradio.org is a nonprofit uh, corporation, and you are welcome to donate if you would like to do that and helps to support these great programs. I want you to know that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, and maybe you're in your own recovery as a family member or friend or not, maybe uh, your loved one is or isn't in recovery, um, wherever your situation is, if you're just curious about the process of recovery and you're looking for information, I'm very glad that you're listening and um, you're very welcome to participate here on Spirit of Recovery. You can uh, email in or phone in a comment or question for my guest if you want to, and just glad you're here. We're a very welcoming place. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and an addictions counselor, 
And I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And this month of May 2015, 34 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I am so grateful for that um, and uh, grateful to be celebrating these years as a family member and a friend that's uh, walking this path. And ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that walk transforms my life on a daily basis, whether I want it to or not. And I am grateful, and it keeps me growing. So thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for UnityOnlineRadio.org for giving me the opportunity to share these ideas about spirituality and recovery with you and to bring you great guests and to hear what's happening in your spirituality and recovery walk. So today, our topic is Sober Summer, Teens Staying Connected to Recovery. Um, Summer is a high-risk time for teens that are in recovery, and especially if they're in early recovery, because uh, in the summer, you know, they're not connected as much to their usual support systems, that uh, life gets a little disconnected. So what really helps teens in recovery to stay in recovery, especially through the summer, and of course all the time, but um, to, is to make sure that in the summer they do have ways to be in connection with healthy actions because that's the key. Sober Summer is a program that is sponsored by Teen and Family Services, also known as TAFS, that's capital T-A-F-S, which is a wonderful nonprofit organization in Texas. And TAFS provides peer social and recovery activities for teens all year round. And as we said in the summer, uh, focuses on sober summer. And the great thing about the program that TAFS Teen and Family Services sponsors is that it works. You can learn more about them if you go to www.teenandfamilyservices.org and you can find them and see what they do. And you're going to hear a lot about that today. My guest is George Youngblood, and George is a credentialed uh, drug and alcohol counselor and uh, mentor to other alcohol and drug uh, recovery counselors. He is the founder and CEO of Teen and Family Services. He's an author, and he has many years of innovative approaches to teen recovery. He has been successfully counseling adolescents and their families for over 15 years, and he has provided training for the staff of several uh, Texas school districts uh, around in the Houston and Austin area, and he's also trained hundreds of counselors and other mental health professionals on adolescent-specific counseling approaches. And um, he is also a founding member of the National Alliance for Adolescent Behavioral Health, which is a coalition that promotes advocacy and training for treatment professionals. And um, you're going to hear his passion for working with adolescents and the wisdom that he brings to the work that he does. So, George, thanks for being my guest today. So, um, happy to be on. At some point, I need to shorten my biography. It's a little long. <laughs> but um, I'm happy to be here to talk about adolescent recovery, and particularly during the summertime. Um, as your guests can imagine, um, when teens are in early recovery, what really works well, well, actually, probably for all of us in recovery, um, to have a structured program that we can follow. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery. I've been sober since the 4th of May, 1992. All right, congratulations. Thank you. Got sober pretty young and, um, you know, was coming out of an environment where there wasn't very much structure, very much support. Um, And, um, you know, so the beauty of recovery for me when I first got started was just finding those relationships with people who were positive in my life and who believed in and supported recovery. And, you know, that's what we try to do. Um, Mm -hmm. With teens, one of the things that's unique about teenagers is that, you know, for those of us who are adults, we have the adult 12-step community, and it serves our needs really well because, you know, it's a program designed for adults. And I don't think that um, Bill and Bob could have ever imagined uh, people coming into recovery at 13 or 14 years old and celebrating 40 years of recovery before they were 50 years old or actually that's not true before they were 55, 60 years old. And we have those people who have gotten sober in these alternative peer group programs who 
are celebrating that much time of sobriety. Mm-hmm. So the important thing for teens is that when they come into recovery, they have peers in their age group that mm-hmm. are committed to recovery. Um, and, you know, sort of the old thing that we used to say is that if you're 14 or 15 years old and staying sober means going to Denny's with all the old people and drinking coffee after the meeting, then it's um, not particularly attractive. But if you can go to a program where there's 20, 30 other teenagers who are committed to recovery and also committed to having fun and, um, you know, making sure that they still get to be kids and that they still get to do a lot of the things that average teenagers get to do. So, you know, we're supported by a sober high school. We try to um, encourage them to stay in extracurricular activities. Um, And because the important thing that we communicate to teens is that just because you have this disease, it doesn't have to limit you. Mm -hmm. And um, we want them to believe that. And it's the absolute truth. And uh, on average, kids with substance use issues are a few IQ points higher than the average kid. And these are brilliant kids. And all they need is a path and they need, um, you know, some encouragement. So what Teen and Family Services looks like is um, we do a lot of pro-social activities. We can social functions, hangout time. We have... 12-step support groups that are specifically designed for middle school and high school kids. We have um, family support groups that are specifically designed around parents who need support for um, dealing with their recovering teens. And during the summertime, we open up for um, services and have stuff available for kids to do from lunchtime all the way through evening time. And so um, we can keep them busy and engaged in recovery activities for um, you know pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, that really helps us be effective with, with teens. And we're, once again, we haven't been particularly successful in engaging teenagers in the adult 12-step community. Mm-hmm. Um, there certainly are those extraordinary teenagers who come in and do very well. Um, but, you know, the vast majority, like um, 85% of teens who return home after completing residential treatment return to active drug use. And right. So although... We're glad that we were successful with that 15%. We still have to strive to reach the um, needs of that other 85%. What is it that, um, and, and I'm going to add, I, what is it that makes it more challenging? You really sort of addressed some of that already, but um, we know even for adults to, to maintain long-term sobriety is certainly very challenging. What is What are some of the additional factors for teens, and and also, uh, maybe some people think, oh, a teenager can't really be addicted. That that's not, you, you know. So, what what do you say about all that? Can they really be addicted at the age of thirteen or younger or whatever? And what are some of their special situations? Well, let me start off by addressing the issue of addiction. What we see is that kids come in with their parents to see us to. to find out more information about recovery all over the spectrum as far as their substance use goes. And so we do have those kids that fit the medical criteria for addiction, mm-hmm. but that's not the majority of the kids that we see. And I'll give you an example. Let's say a 14-year-old kid comes in to see us and picked up a possession charge and had a dirty UA at his probation officer the first time he went um, or she went that doesn't necessarily mean that they're an addict or have an addiction problem, but it certainly means that they continue to use drugs, that their life is going to become unmanageable pretty quick. So what we try to look at is how do we intervene on kids who are just beginning to use um, or just beginning to get into some dysfunctional behavior and be able to create a recovery program for them um, and, you know, all the way up the spectrum to kids who clearly fit the criteria for addiction and, you know, a lot of what we look at is what was the age of first use. And what we know now is for those kids who end up in treatment, the average age of first use is about 12 and a half. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we get those kids at 13, 14 years old who may have been using for a year or more by the time we see them. Uh, drug addiction progresses faster in teenagers. Um, and <clears throat> one of the things to consider is, you know, what we're talking about is not a fully formed adult brain. And so they're certainly more susceptible. And drug use in adolescence creates emotional, intellectual, um, 
development issues. Mm-hmm. So an example of that is if a kid starts smoking marijuana at 13, 14 years old, gets the treatment at 17 or 18, emotionally they're probably still functioning at about 13 or 14 years old. Uh, the scary thing for those of us that are adults is if we started smoking marijuana at 13 or 14 years old and come into recovery as adults, in a lot of ways, emotionally, we're still sort of functioning at that 13 to 14-year-old um, level. So we have to take that into consideration. We have to take in those developmental issues into consideration. We also have to take into consideration that teens need a peer group, um, and adults certainly do, but one of the things that's happening as teenagers get older and older is they're individuating from their families. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we need to create those opportunities peer group-wise to give them a chance to sort of bridge that um, gap between their parents and becoming functional adults. And so they have that specific need as well. Uh, and so we also are looking at educational needs and making sure that we support them in, in getting their educational needs met. Um, and so, you know, those are a lot of issues. And, and plus just dealing with the family dynamic because as much in an adult 12-step programs, um, like Al-Anon or other family programs, we talk to parents and family members about um, detaching from the person who's the active addict. But when you're a parent, you can't really do that 100% because you're still obligated to parent your child. And so it's not just about addressing the need of the teen, it's about addressing the need of the entire family and helping parents figure out ways to effectively parent their kids who um, are in early recovery. Right. What are some of the things, I mean, backtrack a little bit, that you do, how do you work with those teens that, uh, and families that come in and, and you say the teen is starting the risky behaviors, but, but they don't really meet the criteria for addiction? What are some of the ways that uh, you all address that? Well, we still want to engage them in the alternative peer group program because, you know, for kids to make a change, they have to be associated with the peer group who is focused on positive behavior because we know what continues to pull teenagers into the drug-using lifestyle, which in turn um, progresses their drug use is associating with other kids that are drinking or using drugs. You know, I tell teenagers that it's not just their age group that's susceptible to that. If I hang out with negative people all day, I'm going to feel negative. So, you know, we want to pull those kids in and engage them in a new peer group. And one of the things I tell parents when they first come in is our job before we do anything is to make this fun for your kids. So at first, if it doesn't seem like we're doing anything therapeutic or anything, you know, sort of nuts and bolts recovery-wise, we actually are. Because if we can get your kids in a place where they want to be a part of the peer group, then the rest of the work is easy. Uh, So mainly with those kids, it's just fun. How can we make this fun? And we have a whole staff of kids that are college age that are, you know, have a few years of recovery, and their job is to engage and make it fun. So once again, even for those kids who are just really starting to get into harmful use, we can intervene early. And these are kids that if they presented for treatment at a treatment program, they wouldn't meet criteria to be accepted. But we don't have to wait until they do meet criteria. We can intervene and start that um, peer group change process, um, you know, and really save them those years of progression that the rest of us really had to suffer through to to get to a place where we uh, were exposed to recovery. Right. What's your experience with um, adolescents like that? Do they seem to respond and go, oh, okay, and then and they basically move out of that, uh, the using experience once they're, kind of on their own, or do they think, eh, that was nice, and, and kind of come back to it? I know there's not one answer to that, but... Right. Um. See, I was going to say the answer is yes and no. Um, <laughs> okay. But we also have to keep in mind that if we get that 14-year-old and... Oh, oh, it's and time she, for our break. I'm sorry, it's time okay. for our break. No, that's fine. So mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. My guest is George Youngblood. He's the founder and CEO of Teen and Family Services in the uh, greater Houston and Austin area in Texas. And we're talking about sober summer teens staying connected to recovery. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. 
Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Now available, you pray the free prayer app from Silent Unity. For more than a century, people from all over the world and all walks of life have turned to Silent Unity. With you pray, our confidential prayer support is easy and convenient to access. With you pray, you can send your prayer directly to Silent Unity. You pray also includes affirmations you can share with family and friends, plus audio meditations for your prayer time. For more about the free you pray app and links to download, visit silentunity.org/app. That's silentunity.org/app. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And our topic today is Sober Summer, Teens Staying Connected to Recovery. My guest is George Youngblood, who's the founder and CEO of Teen and Family Services, and the acronym is TAFS, T-A-F-S. And you can find out more about that program at teenandfamilyservices.org, spelled just the way that it sounds. And... Um, uh, TAFS does lots of things working with adolescents, has a very successful program, getting adolescents engaged in uh, with their peers in activities that are positive and fun and recovery-oriented, and uh, has that spiritual component as well. And um, they particularly today, we're going to be talking some about their Sober Summer Program, which is a way to keep teens connected into recovery while they're in the summertime, which can be a high-risk time. Uh, as it can be a bit disconnected um, for teens during that time. But before I get back to my conversation with George Youngblood, I invite you to join me in a moment of uh, meditation to make that conscious contact with your higher power, the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to feel relaxation from the crown of your head, and be aware of that relaxation as you move your awareness all the way through your body temple. You may be aware of your breath, and share with me, this constructive idea. I trust the love of my higher power to guide me in all things. I trust the love of my higher power to guide me in all things. And now we take a moment in the quiet. for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I trust that that was an opportunity for you to tune in to a constructive idea and make conscious contact with your higher power as you understand it. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, George Youngblood, and we're talking about Sober Summer, Teens Staying Connected to Recovery, and all things about teens and recovery. So George, before the break, um, you were talking about... um, what may occur with those teens who come in and maybe they don't meet the criteria for addiction, but they have started doing some risky behaviors. And I was asking you about, and uh, you know, how what happens to them maybe once they're completed with 
uh, teen and family services and, and what happens is they go out into the world. And uh, you said the answer is yes and no about what they do. So would you share a little bit more with us about that? Sure. And so for a lot of those kids that we get in uh, at 13, 14, 15 years old who have just started to become involved with harmful substance use, the goal is to keep them sober during their high school years. Um, We know that if we can do that, that we've helped them with their brain development. We've helped them through an extremely high-risk time. Um, And so once they become adults, um, many of them will choose to return to active drinking or using, hopefully not using. Um, Drinking is not that great either. Um, And some of them can be pretty successful at that because they really are not addicts and alcoholics in the way that I am or the other people that are in my circle in in adult 12-step programs. Um, And, you know, many of them will stay committed to recovery ongoingly. You know, many of those that return to active use have more problems and have to sort of beat a path back to recovery. But, um, you know, a lot of times, especially early on, it may be the parent's choice to involve them in recovery rather than their own choice. Uh, mm-hmm. And they'll get engaged, and and we've really um, taken a period of their life and reduced that high-risk behavior significantly. And mm-hmm. what I say simply is, is, at the very least, we've got them to adulthood, where they may not have, have made it to adulthood without the intervention of a teen-based program. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, it's um, the same thing for for those of us in adult recovery too. You know, not um, everybody comes in and stays sober from that first meeting. But if they stay sober a couple of years, then um, what we say is they've built some recovery capital. So when they come back into recovery, um, they're really not starting from the very beginning. They really do have a base of information and connection to recovery that they would not have had if they wouldn't have had those couple of years of sobriety. Right. So none of it's ever lost. It's, uh, it's, as you say, you've got that recovery capital, you've got that experience, and that in itself is significant. That makes a shift in perception, I think. It does. Yeah. Now, you're a person in long-term recovery. Uh, you said you came into recovery in your early 20s. Would you share uh, some your recovery story with us? Absolutely. So... The majority of my use was in adolescence. Like I mentioned before, the average age of first use is 12 and a half. That was certainly true for me. I grew up in a family with a lot of alcoholism, a lot of mental illness, and um, it wasn't even really particularly frowned on in my house as a teenager to drink alcohol or use drugs. Um, stopped going to school in the eighth grade um, and moved out. Um, and I like to say that I left because it was safer to leave than it was to stay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was just out um, doing what teenagers with drug and alcohol addictions do, um, continued to progress. I was in treatment for alcoholism for the first time when I was 15 years old, again at 17 years old. And finally, when I made it in in my 20s, um, recovery took hold. And, um, you know, I've been sober since then. But once again, it was... A lot of it had to do with what I believe was a genetic predisposition and also an environment that encouraged active drug and alcohol use. And so really for me, the drug and alcohol use was more the norm. And coming into recovery, getting accustomed to people who didn't drink or use was more of a culture shock than anything else. Um, I was blessed because when I came into my first 12-step meeting, um, I picked up my desire chip, and I've been sober since then. But a lot of it was just, I think, being in so much pain. And um, it just really progressed pretty fast for me. And, and I know there's people who go on for decades drinking and using before they find recovery. So and on one hand, um, it progressed and got really bad really quick for me, which was pretty painful. On the other hand, it's such a gift to get into recovery at such a young age. And I've spent half my life in the room and um, it's just made a really great life for me. And I also like to say that I've been with my wife for 20 years and she's never known anything, known anything but a sober husband. And I have two sons who've never known anything but a sober dad and um, certainly better than what I got. For sure. 
you know, that recovery journey has just affected everyone. It's affected my family. It's it's um, it, it's just a, a wonderful path. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. So you know, my recovery journey is a lot like the young people that I see. Although it was a couple of years later, I certainly um, needed that sober peer group. And at the time, I was blessed with uh, young people's recovery in Houston. That was more of a sort of late teens, early 20s group that um, I ran around with and was able to create that peer group, and it just made such a difference for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us some more things that you learned from your own recovery as a, a younger person that you use now to, that uh, as part of your vision for teen and family services and how, the, how you work with teens and, and what you've written and how you, count, how you mentor other counselors that work with teens. I think the main thing for us, those of us that are engaging teenagers, is that we have to be real and we have to be uh, genuine um, because teenagers have a great radar for people who aren't genuine. And and I sort of borrowed a term from Young Life, and that term is earning the right to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And what that means is it means means being consistent. It means showing up, doing what we say we're going to do, and... I think that was important for me. In my early recovery, I got connected with a really great group of, group of men that, you know, one was my sponsor, um, a group of guys that were around the same sobriety as him. So I had my peer group, but I also had these older men in recovery in my life that were able to, as silly as it sounds, teach me to do things like balance a checkbook, um, pay the rent on time, keep the lights on, because those were just not skills that I had when I got sober. And so that translates over because a lot of the stuff that we're helping teens learn is how to show up to class on time, you know, how to have relationships with their teachers, how to communicate with their parents in a way that's effective and gets them what they want, um, which is really what's important to them in a lot of ways. But really it's just, as you know, recovery is relational. And mm-hmm. what we say is if you want to get close to God, you've got to get close to people. Mm-hmm. And so it really is about building those relationships. And, you know, early on for me, I didn't really understand the whole broad spiritual part of recovery. But I did understand if I went with the sober people after the meeting that I was going to stay sober. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we do in youth recovery is we really try to focus on what we call the love of the group as the focus of the spiritual program at the very beginning. Once again, because teenagers are so peer-based and because a lot of them, especially the younger teenagers, their thinking is pretty concrete, and so they may not be able to wrap their brains around a lot of the spiritual principles that are in some of the recovery texts, but they can relate to the fact that these kids are sober, and if I go and do what they're doing, then I have a pretty good chance of staying sober. And so in that way, they're able to connect with the group um, as a power, and most of them transition into probably more traditional uh, 12-step spirituality, but it really is about the basics of if I stick with this group, I have a really good chance of staying sober. If I don't have sober friends, then I don't have a very good chance of staying sober. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of uh, what young people's recovery looks like. And I say this over and over again, but it's got to be fun. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, make it you fun? Know, gosh, I don't anymore because I'm 47 years old. Mm-hmm. but. You know, it's that young staff that come in and know how to have fun and and sobriety, and there's all kinds of activities that they do. We do backpacking trips. We do camping trips. We do just goofy social functions on the weekends, dances, uh, go to the movies, go bowling. But really what seems to engage them the most is just having fun as peers and just spending a lot of time together Mm -hmm. doing goofy stuff. And and, um, so I think that... About 10 years ago, I started sounding like the parents on Charlie Brown when I talked to teenagers because I've gotten older, but there is something about that younger college-age staff that really can connect and and engage kids. Mm -hmm. I was great at it when I was in my 20s, but I'm not so great at it anymore. But the good thing about being older, as long as I let them make fun of me, I can at least keep a relationship with them. That's right. You you have to roll with the changes, I guess, huh? 
You do, and if you, and one of the things I found out is if you learn to laugh at yourself, you never run out of things to laugh about. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. So the sober summer program um, have have uh, you been doing that all the time at Tafts, or is this a, a newer idea? This basically, I'm, I'm guessing, sort of a, a stepped up way of of connecting teens when they're not in school. Is that it? Or tell us a little bit more about super, about sober summer. It is. And I wouldn't say this in front of the teenagers because it sounds so goofy, but it's sort of like summer camp for kids in recovery. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of 12-step recovery, a lot of social functions. We take the kids on a backpacking trip every summer for a couple of weeks in Colorado. We um, you know, have stuff available for the parents. We have our centers, which if you go online, you can take a look at the pictures of our recovery centers. And, you know, there's rec equipment, there's video games, there's tons of stuff for them to do if they just want to come and hang out. It uh, serves a couple of purposes. One of them is that it keeps them busy during the day because, you know, as a lot of us know, boredom is sometimes not um, great for our recovery when we're early in recovery. Mm-hmm. The other benefit for parents is that at least they know where their kids are during the day because for mm-hmm. parents of kids in early recovery – in the summertime, you go to work, and there's that nine or ten hours that you're gone from the house, and you just really don't have any idea what your kids are doing or where they are. At least if you know they're somewhere with a recovery program and accountable that you can feel okay that um, you know they're going to they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't tell any teenagers I told you that, but it's like summer camp for okay. teens in recovery. <laughs> All right. I don't think there's any teenagers listening to us, yeah. but there might be. There it's was, not summer camp, but it is summer camp. Right, yeah. That's a, it's great. So um, I'm curious about um, what got, gave you the initial idea. Obviously, you, you're talking about your passion and your experience, but how did you get started with teen and family services and get that going? Because that, that takes a lot to start a whole organization and a whole program, even when you're passionate. So how did you get it going? It's one of those things where um, I didn't know what I didn't know. That sounds a little strange, but because I was a little bit naive in the beginning about starting a business, I didn't know any better other than to just charge forward and, and trust God. And I really do think that God's had his hand in, in teen and family because it certainly hasn't been that much about me. Um, it was really just taking a look at the services that were available at the time for teenagers. I've been working in, in a treatment program for about eight years before I started teen and family and just sort of had this vision for ways that we could do it better. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough to, or blessed enough is another way of saying it, to get a few of the right people in place when we started and... and um, you know, it's just developed since then, and, and um, I really believe strongly in what we do. And mm-hmm. I think as long as we're focused on doing what's best for families, then, you know, everything else just seems to take care of itself. And we're continuing to expand and, and just looking at opportunities to help more teens. And, it, and we're actually celebrating the 13th birthday of Teen and Family tonight at, a, at an event. Uh-huh. It's been amazing that it's been 13 years. Uh, Congratulations. So happy to, thank you. Yeah, and we're, really. we're, we've been so happy to, to be in Austin and serve in the community up there. We uh, have a couple of locations in Houston and, and just um, more national interest as well. So I think as part of the new recovery movement that started in the last few years, that it's an excellent opportunity to just keep growing and, and helping replicate and serve more kids in more communities. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, like, because we have listeners that are around the United States and some even overseas. If people are interested in finding other adolescent services that, that might use that peer group and kind of like you do, where is, is there much available or um, how would they find that, that in their locale? Well, I think that doing the research in your community is important because every community is unique and every community has different recovery services available. We're certainly interested and, and available to help people replicate the teen recovery programs like Teen and Family Services and other communities. It's one of the visions that we have for Teen and Family is to make ourselves available for other communities to grow and establish teen recovery in their community because it is so important and it is so unique. And when we get sober as adults, we really 
don't realize how much difference there is between getting sober as a teen and getting sober as an adult and having stuff available to meet those specific needs. And what we found, though, a lot is that there are pockets of community support in different areas that you may not know about unless you're in the treatment or recovery community. And so for those uh, people who are interested, doing some research about what's in your community, sometimes you can turn up things that you wouldn't even know were there. Mm-hmm. And right. so, you know, one of the goals of the recovery movement is also being able to network programs and share ideas and, and um, help create new opportunities to provide recovery services. And when I say the new recovery movement, I'm talking a lot about the idea that those of us in recovery don't have to be ashamed and we don't have to um, hide our disease anymore. It's just, you know, it, it, it's a movement to feel comfortable with telling people that we're in recovery. And the important thing about that for teenagers is those of us who got sober young move along is we're hopefully forging a path for them to feel less and less stigma associated with their disease. Mm -hmm. And so when a community supports a program, a community-based recovery program for teenagers, we're helping with that. We're helping them understand that this is an illness. It's not a moral problem. It's, It's not because they're delinquents. It's not because they're bad kids. It's because they have an illness. Right. It's time for our break. Um, but that's a great, a great statement and so important. So uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Our, we'll be just taking a short break. My topic is today is Sober Summer, Teens Staying Connected to Recovery. And my guest is George Youngblood, the founder and co-founder of teenandfamilyservices.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity online radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. is a high cost to playing it safe. You have the power to overcome obstacles in your path and create positive changes in your career and personal life by taking smart risks. Move ahead with faith, confident that whatever the outcome, you can handle it. Don't you deserve more? Gain tools, tips, and insights when you listen to Dare to Live Fully with Helene Lerner and her guests. Thursdays at noon Central Time. Helene is also a television host, prolific author, expert on workplace issues, and founder of WomenWorking.com, one of the premier websites for women. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. Our topic today is Sober Summer, Teens Staying Connected to Recovery. And my guest is George Youngblood. 
George is the founder and CEO of teenandfamilyservices.org, and you can look them up online, just spelled just the way it sounds, teenandfamilyservices.org. And uh, they function in the greater Houston and Austin, Texas area. Um, but also there's just a lot of good information on that website. And uh, so George is sharing with us today some of the particular situations for teens in recovery and families uh, that are uh, working with teens that are having uh, addiction issues, and he's got lots of experience with that. So he's uh, sharing some great stuff with us. So, George, before the break, you were talking about um, certainly how hopefully uh, part of the thing that people, adults that are in recovery can do is to keep reducing that stigma, keep really letting people know this is a disease, not a moral failing, and open up some more space for teens um, to be in recovery and and live in long-term sobriety. So if one is a family member, uh, an adult, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a family friend that sees a teen that is having some problems with um, risky behavior, with substance use, what do they do? What can what can they do to help? You know, I think one of the challenges for parents is knowing when it might be bad enough, so to speak, to intervene. And my philosophy is, if you if you suggest or if you suspect there's some kind of issue, if something just doesn't feel right, it's not going to hurt anything to get in and talk to somebody about it. Um, I'm a big advocate of drug testing kids if you're suspicious that there may be something going on. And even though your teen may say they feel like it's an invasion of their privacy, then that's okay because we would rather make sure than than, uh, we'd rather overreact than underreact. And, you know, I just feel like that's so important. And, you know, if they're not using them, they shouldn't have any problems submitting to a drug test. And I know it's a controversial issue, but... I think we've just got to stay diligent, and especially for those of us in recovery, we know that there's a genetic component, and we know that our kids are at higher risk for developing a substance use problem. I have two sons, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, and and I'm somewhat in denial that they're ever going to be teenagers, but (laughs) the years are creeping up pretty close, and, and, you know, I need to talk to them, and I do talk to them about the fact that, you know, we have this issue in our family, and that they're at higher risk, and I just take every opportunity I can. I don't think kids are too ever too young for us to talk to them about what goes on in the world because, you know, there's a statistic that our kids are hit with a thousand or more pieces of advertising a day, a lot of it alcohol and drug related. And so it's not just our challenge against the genetics. It's also our challenge against the society that we live in. And once again, if you suspect anything, if something just doesn't feel right, lose an hour or two of your time. Um, and go talk to somebody. And when I say lose it, you're not really losing it, but it's okay to overreact if that ends up being what you're doing. And mm-hmm. take it seriously. Take it seriously every time. I think it's great to give kids consequences the first time or so that they get in trouble, but if one of the things we look for is continued use in spite of consequences. And so if you have a kid that gets in trouble for drinking alcohol, has consequences, then you find that they're drinking alcohol again or using drugs again, then that in and of itself is some kind of a problem. doesn't mean they're an addict, doesn't mean they're an alcoholic, but it certainly means that they're unable to change their behavior in spite of consequences. And so I just say reach out. I, uh, I think that those of us in recovery can also think that because of our personal experience that if our kids are using or drinking, that we're going to know it because we have so much experience. But the truth is, is that we're just not objective when it comes to our kids. There's not any real magic in, in counseling, honestly. The, the only magic is, is that the counselor is objective mm-hmm. and can see things from a different perspective. And just having someone shine the truth on that perspective can uh, change everything. And so, you know, part of removing the stigma is not being ashamed to reach out for help. And certainly not allowing our embarrassment or our shame about our kids keep us from reaching out and getting them help because, uh, you know, we the risk is so high and the consequences can be so high that it's just worth the risk of intervening too early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. That's an important message and a powerful one. Very powerful. Now, tonight, as you said a little bit ago, uh, you're celebrating the 13th um, birthday of Teen and Family Services, and it's also a graduation ceremony. So it's a celebration for teens that are in the recovery process. Share with us some of what you're celebrating tonight. Yeah, I appreciate you asking me about that. We have 22 high school graduates that will be celebrating with us tonight. And I'm sure, as your listeners can imagine, teens with substance abuse problems graduating from high school is a huge accomplishment. It's an accomplishment for any kid, but especially for those in recovery. And I'm proud to say that every single one of our high school our high school seniors graduated this year. And 20 out of the 22 already have college plans in place. They're attending colleges like Texas Tech, um, University of Houston, uh, University of Texas, Austin. And those three colleges, along with many other colleges, have recovery programs on campus for teens. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to, you know, start building recovery relationships with these guys as early as 14, 15 years old and provide them a recovery community all the way through uh, graduating from college. We also have a couple of college graduations, uh, some kids that came back to celebrate their college graduations with us tonight. It's just amazing watching these kids. We have two kids in medical school right now. We have two kids that finished their master's degrees last year. To be able to see them take the gift of recovery and turn it into something uh, so significant and so meaningful in their lives, is, you know, it's the best part of my job. Mhm. Yeah, that I love that. It's what an inspiration that is for um the the younger teens to see that it's possible that you can stay in recovery and your life can really be constructive and meaningful to you. It's incredible. And and I think once again that's part of the movement, the removing the stigma is being able to have teens in recovery who become doctors, become uh, professionals in many different fields who become musicians, entrepreneurs. The great thing about recovery as a teenager is it really does open up this whole world for you. And once again, you don't have to go through the years and years of wreckage that a lot of people in recovery have to go through before they get the gift. And mm-hmm. you know, and they're just removing the stigma. And the great thing about it is that they're just refusing to have that stigma. They are. They're just not going to have it. Um, and and so many of them are willing to stand up and talk to anyone about the recovery, to go to Austin and talk to people who are making decisions on legislation, going to Washington, D.C. and doing the same thing, advocating, going to offices of congressmen and senators and telling their recovery stories to hopefully influence policy that will make the path easier for those who are coming up behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a different world, I think. And say in 25 or 50 years, uh, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. And, and even in the 23 years that mm-hmm. I've been sober, so much has changed from when I walked in the doors of recovery to what our world is like now as far as it, it uh, relates to recovery. And I've actually been pleased to some degree with some of the media coverage very recently about mental illness and substance abuse because we're starting to not get that sensationalized picture of, you know, pictures of people inebriated or just sensationalized stories. We're legitimately starting to get real recovery stories, which is so much different than what we've had in the past because if you look at the media historically, when it comes to coverage, for people that have our disease, it tends to be sensationalized. It tends to be shaming and stigmatizing and more of a, a train wreck story than actually a recovery story. Mm-hmm. And so it's such a blessing to start to see recovery stories told rather than stories about the wreckage. For sure. And just as we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, but I want to be sure to uh, to ask you about this, you're actually involved in a new movie that's being made, a documentary about adolescents in recovery. Would you share with us just briefly about that? Um, that's going to be exciting to see it when it's when it's finished. It will be. It's a movie called Generation Found. 
and you can actually look it up online, and there's a movie clip that you can see a little bit of the way the movie's going to be structured. But a lot of it is just following the stories of several young people in recovery and from engagement in recovery through high school graduation, through college, and, and really getting to hear what recovery looks like from their perspective. But also a lot of um, adults who have supported the adolescent recovery movement. And as strange as it is to people who don't know this, Texas is really sort of the hub for all things teen recovery. There's more <laughs> services in Texas for teens in recovery than there is anywhere else in the world. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that people who have participated in that um, should feel really proud that Texas is the state that's uh, leading the charge and, and making sure that teens uh, who reach out for help or families that reach out for help have some way to get plugged into recovery. Absolutely. Yeah, that's wonderful. I didn't know that. I'm glad uh, glad to hear that. Yeah, it's incredible. So so this movie then is Generation Found, mm-hmm. and it's being made what, by Greg Williams, who's the same uh, person that made The Anonymous People, which is also that's a fantastic right. movie yep, yeah. about long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. people are going to be amazed to listen to stories of adolescents who've got years of recovery. Mm-hmm. Kind of puts it in a whole different frame, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Well, George, our time is up here. I want to thank you so much, first of all, for what you're doing. Uh, wow, really appreciate it. And thank you for the your spirituality that obviously has guided you into this and continues to guide you. So thank you for that, and uh, congratulations on your long-term sobriety and and on what's happening in teen and family services and uh, your anniversary for that and the graduation tonight. So thank you so much for what you're doing, and thank you for being my guest today on Spirit of Recovery. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central. 1 p.m. Eastern on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.